from the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. It's Wednesday, July 11th, 2018, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios, Andre Henry. Yo. Over there on the ones and twos, our illustrious producer, Chandler Strang. Hello. He's my brother. On the <laughs> Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And all the way from Nashville, Tennessee, our newest podcaster, author, speaker, and podcaster, Annie F. Downs. Good morning, gents. How are you? How oh, was your man, birthday? I'm great. But listen, my life does not matter. I need y'all to talk about Vegas. Oh, well, okay. Well, this past weekend... All lives matter, Annie, by the way. Yeah, well, it was, you, it was your birthday. You. How, first of all, I just want a birthday update. Sure. On Friday's show, we told awesome. everybody your birthday was coming up on Saturday. How was it? Multiple people tweeted me about everyone joining in on the Hoot Nanny in 2019. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> it's just going to be a come one, come all across the nation, which I appreciate. It listen, was really fun. Listen, I've been fun. at a few events where we invited podcast listeners to come out. Uh-huh. You might want to... Just want to have somebody at the door. I'm just saying. You just, you just might want to. But what if they don't let you in, bud? That's the problem. <laughs> I, um, so it was a super fun weekend. While y'all were out Vegasing, I was uh, hanging out with friends and watching soccer, and it was great. It was super fun. We just had really great time. My friend Harris the Third, that's a magician, did magic at my birthday dinner, which was everything I could have oh, wow. ever dreamed of. So, do you feel bad asking? him to do that i mean you have singer friends do you ask them to sing at dinner they're like hey just are they minstrels and just the i have to entertain you he actually said you've never written a book for me on my birthday and i was like you're right this isn't fair (laughs) (laughs) it's like that curb your enthusiasm episode where he find where larry david finds out that uh there's a member of his country club who is a dermatologist and he uses like a locker room uh introduction to have a mole looked at yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no way And and the guys, you know, the guys like, well, tell you what, you're a comedy writer. Come write me a comedy. I'll check out your mole. You know, it is an interesting line there. You know, it is. It is. That is hilarious. But he did did two car tricks that were just amazing, and everybody had the best time, and it was awesome. I just love. I mean, it's this. What I told you last week. I just love any chance to gather around my people, and so I got to do that all weekend long. It was just so fun. Well, speaking of magic, see, that's a good transition. That's a segue. I'm a professional podcaster. Speaking of magic, (laughs) Jesse and I had a weekend of magic as well. We, uh, okay, so we went, Jesse and I flew out on Friday to go to Las Vegas. I haven't been to Vegas in a decade. Uh, Sin City. That's why I try to stay away. <laughs> but this year, the NBA Summer League was there, and yeah. and all 30 teams were playing for the first time, including oh, wow. my Orlando Magic. Mm-hmm. And so right. I thought, hey, Jesse, let's go out to Summer League, because we have friends who work for the Magic, and I thought they might hook us up. You know? I was about to say, were your guys happy to see you? All your magic guys? Yeah. Uh, well, I they mean, were surprised. I'll say this. They were surprised. Like, really, dude? Really? <laughs> really? That's you flew out here for this? this you're, kind of like, a, you're welcome. It's kind of a practice. You know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, really? yeah, yeah. That's I told Cameron. Level. I told Cameron though that when you go into the summer league stadium, there's nothing but basketball nerds there, and you know that by the, like, the assortment of just random jerseys. You know, like I told Cameron, this is like the Comic Con of the NBA. Only yeah. the most devoted <laughs> will fly out and and actually spend time here. Seriously, it was it was it was Comic Con for NBA fans. Wow. It was it was it was amazing, uh, and so. So we went to see a couple games, but the game, the magic played on Friday and Sunday. 
And so we had okay. a whole day of Vegas to fill. And so, of course, we went. So y'all and didn't saw. go see any other teams play. You just went and saw your two Magic games. We caught we caught a couple. Yeah, we peeked we caught, in. We got a little. Games, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we popped in. Yeah. it's kind of like you buy a ticket for the day and you can see like all ten games if you wanted to. And there were like two arenas going, so games were going at the same time. It was like Lollapalooza for basketball. Wow. It was amazing. Okay. <laughs> it was really um, cool. And the great thing is like it's even different than like a Lollapalooza. I guess it's more like in the Comic Con is like you see the guys who were just playing like walking around the whole time, like literally still in their uniforms, just kind of hanging out. And so you're like rubbing player, rubbing elbows to the players like the whole time, which is pretty cool. That's kind of well, cool. And, and we stayed in the hotel where most of the teams were staying. And so just hanging out at the pool or working, going down to the hotel gym or a casino or whatever, like there's players yeah. everywhere. Wow. I mean, I'm telling you, I was nerd now. Like, yeah. I, I really was. I was like, it, it was pretty cool, Mark. It was, uh, yeah. That's and cool. It, um, so on Saturday, though, we had an opening. And so, of course, we filled it. I mean, to keep the theme going, we filled it with That's some magic. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so Jesse and I booked tickets to see the number one rated magic show in Las Vegas. With, with ratings, which we later, came, or I have at least come to the conclusion, may be rigged. And for reasons we will hear soon. I can't oh, wait. Wait, did so, y'all drink fruity so, drinks? Because that was one of my very favorite things about Vegas. They had a signature beverage called the Illusionist. I will say that. <laughs> That's true. That is true. But the, the, here's the here's the thing that should have uh, raised the alarm about the David Copperfield show. It was Friday night and I was looking for tickets for Saturday mm-hmm. and the number one, quote unquote, rated magic show in Las Vegas. The tickets were on a pretty steep discount. You know, they're, no, they're, really? I got I got them on a, like a 70 percent discount the night before the show. Oh, wow. That should have been wow, an indicator wow, about wow. the the demand yeah. of the Mr. David Copperfield show. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but we were undeterred. Like I felt like I was pretty pumped. <laughs> I just like, thought I got. The, I worked the system. I was like, man, yeah. I even. Yeah, I, I was even what did you think when the tickets were cheap? Were you like, oh, we like, yeah, we've done it. Yeah, we've done it. Like, oh yeah. man, we're doing Vegas right. We got cheap yeah. tickets for the yeah. number one rated magic show. Yeah. Nope. There's a reason why there is no demand. <laughs> oh, Little oh, just, did you know. Yeah, Jesse. Jesse, what were uh, you? Had you seen David Copperfield before live, Jesse? Never live. I mean, okay. but I feel like he's he's pretty he's pretty much considered widely as like the king of magic. Like uh-huh. well, when people sure. think of like the other thing too is like he's the stereotypical to stereotypical like modern magician, right? Like he's the character that like they base like Job on on Arrested Development, like grand <laughs> scale illusions, you know, crisp dress shirt and a few yes. wisecracks. Like that's his thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. He's not yeah. he's not like Chris Angel who's who's mind freaking you. He's not yeah. uh, uh, you know David Blaine doing the street magic. He is old school, which that means just giant illusions. And so I he made the Statue of Liberty disappear on that. National television. Right. I mean, back right. in the in the late eighties, early nineties, he literally we I saw it with my own eyes. It was a national event. <laughs> he, he literally I mean, does he was, perform every night in Vegas. Is this like a seven night a week thing? Uh, he's it's doing? not only seven nights. I mean, I think I think most shows are closed on Monday, hey, well, but hey, it's hey, it's Carol- it's every night, two a night, and on Saturdays three. Yeah. So so three well, well, here's on the thing. Saturday? Here's the thing. I Cameron after I told Cameron this on Sunday before we left. I was like. Hey man, I just want to let you know I'm doing a deep David Copperfield dive soon. And so like on the airplane, <laughs> I like downloaded a podcast where he was interviewed. 16 shows a week he does. 16. Wow. Oh yeah. my gosh. Where were y'all on Saturday? Where were y'all on the stack? The first show, the second show, or the third show? We were at seven o'clock. So he did a four thirty matinee, seven and nine thirty. Most nights he does seven to nine thirty. So we were on the second show. 
uh, I thought, you know, dinner crowd. I mean, this is like yeah. prime time. Yeah. It's not the late night mm-hmm. hooligans. Right, you know, right, right. The late clubbers. night show is yeah. something you're about. Yeah. And, and the old people are going to the 4.30. Right, for uh, sure. We're here with the families. We're yeah. here with the, the prime sure. audience yep. that he's going sure. for. And prime the time. thing is, he's had the 4.30. He's warmed up. He's right. warmed up, but he's not tired. He's perfect this is the situation. Perfect, this is the optimal show. <laughs> the optimal time to see David Copperfield. So we we get there, and I'm, I'll let Tennessee tell you about the experience. I'll just tell you, we sat down. We had row in tickets. Yeah. And we noticed two minutes before the show, there's nobody else on row in or any of the rows behind us. <gasps> and then one no. of the staffers, then one of the staffers comes up and says, hey, gentlemen, I'd like to uh, take you to uh, your new seats. And they take us front and center, wow. second row. We had one of those like no. booths, like mafia booths that are like a U, yeah. you know yes. what I mean? Yes. Just me yes. and Jesse right in the middle of the stage. The whole thing David to Copperfield, ourselves. Whole thing to ourselves because they couldn't fill it and they were seat filling. And oh, so, how oh, many yeah. people are in the room do you guesstimate? I need you about to do what, Theater of the Minds for me and set the stage before you tell us about it. I'm saying the theater probably seats 200 because they're all around little tables, yeah. you know, uh, like mm. club or, th- you know, but they're, it's a tiered um, theater custom made for him. So it's a uh, tier rows of, of, of tables, but they kind of ascend, you know, they graduate in height and it's, um, it's a V shaped, you know, it's okay. a normal theater, sure. but then, you know, Broadway kind of size. So I would guess about 200 200 ish and there were probably 120 in the room okay so there's a lot more yeah. than okay yeah okay yeah it's not it's not like a it's not just like a private show for cameron and i though that would only been slightly less awkward than what transpired <laughs> oh, i'm so happy i'll I mean, just I i'll cut to the chase on. on my side it was one of the worst theatrical experiences i've ever experienced wow really yeah. Yeah. Well, so so what happens is he comes out and he starts off like I want to knock it lie. When it first started, I was thinking, dude, this is totally worth it. You know, because the first thing is like Jesse was non ironically excited. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they start spinning this large, um, like uh, you know, open kind of container up on stage. It clearly has nothing in it. You know, all of a sudden, and it's covered in like a white sheet. All of a sudden, the sheets drop. Guess who's there, sitting on a Harley Davidson, looking awesome? No, David <laughs> Copperfield. It just appears out of midair. It's yeah. in air. Does it's, he look awesome? Like, did you really think like? His hair looks right. This is everything I wanted him to look I, like. I'm not convinced. I, in hindsight, it was kind of. I'm not convinced it wasn't a toupee. Why are you, Cameron? <laughs> so, so out out in front of the theater, it's David Copperfield Theater. I mean, there's David uh-huh. Copperfield photos everywhere, mm-hmm. and you're going. It's it's who you remember. The prime time David Copperfield. How, how old is he at this point? Because I don't. Well, I'm, the pictures of David Copperfield that adorn the theater. I'm saying he's fifty. Yeah, you know, yeah. fresh haircut, mm-hmm. looking good, no wrinkles, just you know, prime time. David Copperfield. David Copperfield appears. He's about a month and a half overdue for the haircut. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! It's clearly colored, and he's at least sixty-seven. Yeah, you know he's saying? sixty-one. I just googled it. He's sixty-one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, just it's not it's, looking it's, good for sixty-one. We're, we're, we're keeping those photos up for a reason because that's <laughs> oh not what he looks like anymore. He, yeah. He, yeah. So, so he starts the show, and it starts off like. You know, this, this is, this is pretty good. Like, uh, so the second trick, which really the show, those are the two best tricks, the ones that happen within the first 90 seconds. So uh, how long of a show are y'all there for an hour and a half? Hour and a half. Yeah. Okay. 90 minutes. So he appears on the motorcycle. Awesome. He gets some volunteers, quote unquote, from the audience. And <gasps> what do you mean, quote unquote? What do you mean, quote unquote? Oh, no. Well, we, we know there were state plants. Yeah. <gasps> there were lots plants of plants. For sure. 
Well, I can, I, I knew, oh <laughs> not to jump Jesus. ahead, but like he demanded a standing ovation, did not get one. <laughs> That's when the plants started Are jumping up and He clapping. would say like, yeah, I'm gonna, I need three volunteers, catch this Frisbee, and he would just throw it, right? And it would fall near some tables, but not quite to the tables. And he'd go, pick that up, pick that up, hand it, uh, I need a lady, uh, hand it to the lady to your left. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. So it's not like he was oh, actually so, a really good frisbee thrower. No. I figured maybe he had to just like really hone the craft or something. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so too, Chandler. <laughs> well, you, you, there was a lot that I thought craft honing that would be involved because here's, <laughs> here's, here's my, here's what I've come to theorize, Cameron. Because I did, I, on the plane home, I was so fascinated by how <laughs> someone goes from the top of the magic world. Like he is one of like two or three people that is like a, a household name magician. Like if you think of yeah. magician, you think, David Copperfield. Like Cameron said, he made the Statue of Liberty, dis- Liberty disappear. I feel right. like every couple years growing up, he, he was always doing a comedy special. How do you go from that to being this jaded, cynical, kind of foul mouth weirdo doing, you know, half soul ch- weekend shows in Vegas, right? Right. I, I was fascinated by his rise and, you know, apparent fall, especially considering he's worth a billion dollars. So during this podcast, I listened to this interview with him and I'm just trying to get in his mind. I was, I, it was all I could talk about the rest of the trip is what happened to David. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. And, and so, like, I would lie awake just thinking about that. So I listened to his interview, and he talked about like I guess the la- the show The Americans. I, I don't I, I I don't watch The Americans, but I know it's like critically acclaimed. And it's a great show. And he 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 was like, you know, back in the day. When I made the Statue of Liberty disappear, he, it was almost like uh-uh. Uncle Rico. It was from Napoleon Dynamite talking about a high school football game. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you can tell he thinks like about the Statue of Liberty disappearing him. all the time. Like, there's not a day goes by how he doesn't think how awesome it was that he did that back in like eight, 1989. But he's like, he's telling this podcast interview, he's like, you know, when I made the Statue of Liberty disappear, I, it wasn't about the trick. It was about the speech I gave that imagine if liberty disappeared from this world. What would a world look like without liberty? And nobody got it. No one said anything about the speech. It was all the trick and my message went ignored for all these years. And I guess on an episode of the Americans recently, the Russian spies are watching TV back in 1989 because it takes place back then during the Cold War or whatever. And they watch the David Copperfield speech and make commentary about liberty. He's like, and David Copperfield uh-uh. said he literally cried while watching it because someone finally got <laughs> oh, it. Wow. That it took humanity 30 wow. years to catch up to how great he was. And I feel like that's what he's carrying with him every night into this. Like these people don't deserve to see me materialize on a Harley Davidson. They don't. They, you know what? Now that you're saying that, full, that is literally his vibe. You all yeah. don't deserve me. Like literally, he. I'm phoning it in for you because you people are just here to take. You know what I mean? Like you don't get it. You're yes. right. He totally had that vibe. <laughs> that, that was his whole thing. Man, that's fascinating. That, and so, like, I'm like going a deep dive into his psychology because obviously he doesn't need the money. Like, I think it's it's been established by a credible outlet that he, he that 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 money is no object to him. Right? That he, he's looking for just a little validation every night. And I saw that when he <laughs> demanded people to stand up and cheer for him. And when people, I, yeah. we, we were all like, ah, I mean, I'm not going to not the, get the, like. The applause was so you know, tepid like you know it was just like okay cool and as soon as he walked off stage we kind of stopped right yeah, yeah. and he came immediately back out for an unwarranted encore and like no one wanted the encore nobody asked for it we already were we were ready to go yeah. you know yeah but but the last trick was like 
And Cameron, I don't know if you caught this. So the last trick, that box, basically the same trick he's been doing the whole night, where this big, you know, empty box is making large things just materialize. The last trick, and he says some dumb line like, and just like my dad said, I never, you know, he never could. Tonight, I and you believe in magic, or whatever the last cheesy line is. And the box turns, and this is nowhere, at no point have we discussed dinosaurs in this, in this evening. <laughs> oh, dinosaurs. His friend, his his friend throughout his childhood, because he would show pictures of himself as a child with his friend Frank. And it was like a little dinosaur skeleton and none of the other kids got him. And when he would go to birthday parties, he would bring Frank and Frank was his only friend. And he'd sit in the corner with Frank, his little toy dinosaur skeleton. This is so T-Rex sad. dinosaur skeleton. <laughs> and this was, again, nostalgia family photos coming up on the screen uh-huh. that were all fake, obviously. Yeah, so anyway, the last <laughs> trick, and he's like, like, I now believe in magic! And, like, the box opens, and, a, and, a, and, a, and like, this T-Rex skeleton is in there now, roaring. And it was kind of cool, but again, like, I know that's probably inflatable, and you know what I mean? Like, I can figure out that that's not a real dinosaur skeleton. Bad. But, like, when the lights came back on, and it's roaring that was the one moment of authenticity i saw in david copperfield's mind really? like i told you i still got it like <laughs> like that's when that dinosaur's roaring he's looking at every eye in there and be like i am david freaking copperfield like <laughs> you know what this ta- you know what it taught me though honestly this is like the showmanship thing or whatever or like so david blaine i don't know i don't follow magic or whatever but david blaine does these big specials where he blows people's minds mm-hmm. and david copperfield used to do these specials and, you know, I'm wondering, like, to me, like, it's like he de- he's diluting his legacy by doing this, like, show for small crowds every uh, night. Yeah. Like, if yeah. David Copperfield didn't do this show and then did, like, once every few years, did a TV special or something, yeah. he would still be on the top of the ma- magic world. Right. Yeah. It's almost like he's harming his legacy by doing this Vegas run. Yeah. But is he really harming his legacy? Because y'all didn't know before you went that it wasn't great. It's true. Yeah, well, well, that's right. what I'm saying. Like... It, but but everyone who goes, I'm telling you, I'm but telling now, you. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're bored, exactly. any listener who's bored, this was kill some time. Look up David Copperfield Las Vegas show reviews, and there's like hundreds of them, and just filter out and go to the one stars. They like they, they And I think it's unfair to only invite people to do that if they're bored. I say if you have time of any kind, <laughs> bored or not bored, this is this is of the ahead. utmost importance. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah, one stars because the five time. stars are clearly rigged because exactly. it's like five stars. He's great. Five stars. David Copperfield's. Best legend. show. Yeah. Still on the best. Best show on I mean, Las Vegas. Are the dates on the five stars recent, though? A lot like, of are reviews still are like- recent. But, like, the one stars, like, one of them said that the star of the show was David Copperfield's Borum and disdain for the audience. So, one <gasps> was like, one was oh like, my gosh. <laughs> okay, so both of you guys give, how many stars are you giving the show for real? Okay, here's the thing. On the quality of the magic, the quality of the magic and, uh, you know, general presentation and effort, that's definitely a hard one. A hard one. <laughs> On how entertained I was and how much I enjoyed it thoroughly more because of how awkward, because of all the many awkward moments, that's a five plus right there. You want the most awkward night in Vegas. You want to leave feeling a little weird and sad, but also weirdly entertained. And you're like, weird and sad. You, you ever watch like, you ever watch the show Locked Up Abroad? These people no, get like no. locked up in like a prison in Thailand for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time oh, you, 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 it's the same feeling. Like you're kind of sad, but you're like, you know what? It puts things in perspective in my life. Things aren't too bad. I'm not locked up in a prison in Thailand. You know, like that poor guy. 
that's how I felt leaving that. Like, at least I'm not oh David gosh. Copperfield. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my job's stressful, so but it's not like that. <laughs> hey, do you yeah. have time, Jesse, yeah. to tell us a little bit about seeing sneaking into Bill Simmons' podcast? Yeah, so the other thing is, like, we were, like, uh, it was a big NBA nerd weekend, like we are saying. So the uh, the whole crew from, like, the Ringer website, which is a sports website founded by Bill Simmons, and, um, you know, they all... the top podcasts in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it, it's the, it's the number it, yeah. one sports podcast. And they were doing a live podcast show at uh, Caesar's Palace in this kind of like um, room that probably set, I don't know, Cameron, what would you say? That was about 100 people, but it really tight. Yeah, if not more than that. It was like a bar, like almost like a piano bar or something. There was a stage and when the, the, the seats were all kind of rounded, but it was definitely a bar lounge area, but it was a closed entrance, like there was a front door sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So, and so, yeah. so when we found out the guest was going to be David Chang, who we've talked about on this podcast a couple of times, he oh. does, the, yeah. uh, the chef who does ugly delicious. Wow. He has a Momofuku in Las Vegas. Oh, cool. So he was there. Yeah. And then also Daryl Morey, the GM of the Houston Rockets was going to be on the show and a couple other guests. Yeah. And so Jesse really wanted to see it. He checked it out. Tickets were sold out. Couldn't get it. Yeah. And, and, and we were, we were going <laughs> to dinner before the show there at the hotel and and Jesse ran over to see to try to talk to the door guy is it sold out could we get in maybe there was a line of people who didn't have tickets who were waiting already mm-hmm. you know and Jesse came and told me he's discouraged he's like I oh, mean we can't get in there's like 10 people already waiting you know we're like oh well you know we tried right mm-hmm. okay so we eat dinner I love this and then we go over. So, so I was like yes, Cameron let's at least go look at it because the back wall is like glass so you can like see you can like kind of see in from just like the Walking you know the by, hallway yeah. or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so the you know the door, like I said, there's a doorman, and and it's totally sold out the whole line. So me and Cameron are walking away, and I see a side entrance door that is basically side stage. Like you it says walk, employees if you only walk through this door, stage entrance, employees only. It says on the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. If you were to walk through this door, you could take two steps and be on stage next to Bill Simmons. Like so, you know, this is for the stage production and guests on the show only. And like I said, yeah. Like, so so standing right there was like David Chang was standing right there. The guest for the next segment was standing right there. You know, because it's side stage. Yeah. And and Jesse finds a door directly into side stage. So, so I told Cameron, I'm like, dude, I'm just going to walk in there. I'm just going to walk in there and act <laughs> like I'm supposed to be there. And, you know, I was like, I, I, what's the worst Which that's going to happen? Strategy. You know what I mean? Like, like, if, hey, they, like get, you know, throw me out like uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and well, uh, dude, Uncle Phil. Ve- <laughs> I mean, hey, it's Vegas. I saw Ocean's Strange Eleven okay. and when you get taken down into in casino jail, they, there's no laws down there. Yeah, I mean, we saw what happened to Joe Pesci. He ended up with his head in a vice in the movie Casino. Okay, <laughs> he learned a lesson. He learned the hard way. So, oh so I'm thinking either I'm going to need to see a free podcast, or someone from the Ringer staff is going to put my head in a vice until I confess that there's another person with me and I sell Cameron out. So, <laughs> so I walk, I walk in to the door and I just stand up against the wall. The woman who's like the stage production manager who's like you know getting the next guest and and all that stuff she like looks at me really weird and i'm standing at this point like direct right next to her you know like if she wanted if so you're just like backstage practically exactly if there was so i'm backstage. just standing there and i kind of just looked at her and nodded like yep i made it like you know what i mean like <laughs> clearly i'm supposed to be here what you don't know who i am like <laughs> and so so i stood there for probably five minutes and i texted camera i'm like look 
I'm in. I, we still might get kicked out, but I think you should just walk in super confident and just come stand right next to me. Cameron. Meanwhile, I'm outside. I'm waiting outside and I happen to notice that I'm standing about 15 feet away from Frank from American Pickers. And so I'm like, uh, I'm like, he's just hanging at the bar. And I'm like, that's, I bet Frank from American Pickers is a good hang. I was like, well, Jesse's in there watching his nerd podcast. I'm going to get out here and friend Frank from American Pickers. That's okay. what I was going to do. Okay. But then is he was Frank like the tall one or the short one, the short one with the beard. Okay. And okay. he, and, uh, and he's like, he was just hanging out and I was like, cool. I, I got my plans for the night. Jesse's going to yeah. watch the show. And then he's like, no, you got to come in, got to come in. So I was like, all right. So camera comes and stands right next to me. Like 30 seconds later, right behind him comes David Chang. And so it's like me, Cameron, David saying Chang just standing there. It's clear that one of us is supposed to be there. Like, but, but at at this point, I, we've, I've probably been in there for like half an hour just enjoying the show. And the, and after Cameron's in the stage production manager lady is, absolutely knows we're not supposed to be there you know but the thing is she's let it go she's let it go this far if she yeah. removes if she has us removed right now it's causing a scene and that's going to look bad on her so yeah, we kind of look at each other right behind bill simmons right like y'all are yeah. like people can see you, you. Could, you could yeah oh yeah we were on camera and you could i we could tap him on the shoulder yeah, I mean, like, I stand wow. close to him and grab him by the, the scruff of his neck if I wanted to. That's a really <laughs> weird thing to do. And I definitely get kicked out for that. But if I wanted okay, to, you I do could. have really long arms, but I do. it still is true. So, so, but at one point, I kind of looked next, because at this point, she's standing right next to me. And I kind of like She look couldn't at her. stand next to David Chang. She couldn't stand next to the guest because me and Jesse are in the way. <gasps> so, oh, gosh. So she had to walk like around so us to check on David Chang and the other guests. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, it was funny. And you could tell she was like a little annoyed because like everyone's to stand next to the celebrity you know what i mean and it's me right. cameron and like me and her are both blocking that from happening i look over <laughs> at her she looks over at me and just gives me like kind of a death stare you know and i'm i just kind of like shrug my shoulders <laughs> like what are you gonna do about it <laughs> and yeah. she did nothing and we got hey, to say yeah. and it was this awesome. is on you now this ain't on us this is on you this is your fault yeah, yeah so she you never made you let us in. but this has happened now if you kick us out now everyone's gonna know here i was like we were exchanging no words were exchanged but i was saying this with my eyes like if you kick me out i'm gonna scream i will scream <laughs> and everyone knows your fault if i stay i behave myself so it's your and call she knew she saw your eyes she knew she knew yeah, you'd I would yeah. scream so loud. That would be so embarrassing for you, and I won't care. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, I, like in between the segments, uh, it's Bill, Bill's pretty loose. You yeah. know, it's not like when we do our live show, we have a rundown, all this stuff. Uh-huh. Like, he kind of, the this, they had like three different segments with different guests. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and at the end of the segment, when it would resolve, he would just go, okay, we're going to do our next segment now. And he would stand up, kind of the guests would stand up and, and kind of exit and Bill would stand up and turn around to look for the stage manager and say, you know, who's next or whatever. When yeah. he turned around, he locks eyes with me Yeah, and he's looking at me like, you're who's not supposed guy? to be here. And he was thrown off. Like you could tell he was thrown off. Wow. And so like after that, Jesse and I would, every time there would be a segment break, we would like look at the floor and not make eye contact with Bill yeah. Simmons. Cause we didn't want to get the whole, hey, get out of here. Sure. I know that was convinced. I know sure I was did. convinced knew that we were trespassing was uh cousin Sal, who you may know from like, he's on sports Center. He's Jimmy uh, Kimmel's cousin. Who's a writer on the show and is, you know, always on there. He was mm-hmm. doing a segment and we were standing next to him and I knew he knew, but I knew he didn't care either. I feel like he's the type of guy that, you know, <laughs> yeah. encourages this type of thing, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Keep me down with it. Uh, so we did that. That was fun. We saw the Bill Simmons podcast. We saw David Blaine. And then the last night, the one thing, and I, I know our listeners might have different views on this. Like I, I like to play poker. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, I don't feel like it's gambling. It's you're playing a game for stakes, but you're playing against other. Well, I mean, it is gambling. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, it can be poker, but it also. Well, no, 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 no. Gambling, in my mind, gambling's our game of chance where you're playing against odds and you're playing against the casino. With poker, oh, so you're saying if I bring my skill and my money, it's not gambling. I yeah, skill and money. Let me justify by this. Let me justify by this. Life's a gamble. Every time you get in that car, it's a gamble. <laughs> no, I'm you got to have a little fun in your life. There's a reason. If you watch, if you watch the movie, uh, if you watch the movie Rounders, which is about poker, Matt Damon's in it. He says like, there's a reason why the final table at the World Series of Poker is the same players all the time. This is a game of skill. This isn't a game of chance. To me, gambling is a game of chance. Okay, poker skill does matter. Anyway, I like playing okay. poker. I've never really gambled. I never really played games of chances. I don't like. I don't, I mean, it just seems like you're giving money away eventually, uh-huh. even if you get lucky. And so I've never played table games. Jesse, on the other hand, enjoys playing the game craps. Oh, and so that's what I love too, much. Jesse. Very and much. And so Jesse yeah. was like, come hang out. You know, he's going to play some craps. And I was just like, I don't know the game. And so I just kind of hung with him and uh-huh. he taught me the game. And we play, so we play craps a little throughout the, each night we play a little yeah. bit of craps. So the last night we're leaving last night or uh, Sunday night, Jesse's tired. He's going to bed early flight. Mm-hmm, and I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you know, I mean, last night in Vegas, I'm gonna go downstairs, you know, yeah. you know, I'll play, I'll play a little craps. Mm-hmm. And throughout the, throughout the entire, you know, like every NBA team is there. There was one other player Jesse wanted to see play. And it was uh, Grayson Allen, a rookie from yeah. Duke who mm-hmm. is like this loud mouth. He gets into fights all the time. Okay. He's the most hated player in college basketball. Easily just got drafted the into the yeah. NBA and he was playing. Easily the most hated. Yeah. Yeah. Easily. And so he was, and so Jesse oh. went to see and Grayson Allen. And play. Yeah, Grayson Allen was benched for the entire game. Jesse went to see because Jason or Grayson Allen had gotten into two fights in the previous two oh, games, wow. and so he didn't play. So Jesse, and he's a rookie. Yeah, he's yeah. a rookie, and he he's was also like, like usually in NBA warmups, you, you, like layup lines and stuff. Everyone plays it cool, you know, like act like you've been here before. Grayson Allen in the warmups is doing like three sixty dunks and windmills and stuff. Like, it, I oh mean, my gosh. just to like, just those, to like just, psych yeah. out the other team and stuff. And so, so Jesse wanted to really see Grayson Allen. We never saw Grayson Allen, you know. I wanted to see whoever, you know. So anyway, I'm down playing craps by myself last night at the win, and um, around eleven thirty all the NBA players who were staying there just kind of show up in the casino and they're wow. just hanging out. They're all friends with each other. They're all just hanging out. Some of them kind of played some game. Most of them were just kind of hanging around talking and I'm sitting there trying not to geek out. I'm trying to, cause I turned a 12 year old kid around basketball players. Mm-hmm. Like I just like, I just like, I get starstruck and I'm at the craps table. I've been there for a couple hours and who comes up to play at my table, but Alfred Payton who used to play for the Orlando magic yep. and Grayson Allen. And Grace and Alan, they hang out for like a couple hours at my table. And no. I'm sitting there, Jesse's dead Jesse? asleep. Uh, nope. No. <laughs> oh, he told me after. If he would have texted me, I would have come down. Uh, hey, we for have a great sure. show in store for you coming up later. Uh, <laughs> goodness <laughs> gracious. Coming up later, uh, Leon Bridges joins us. Oh, man. Co- he's the cover artist in the current issue of Relevant. And we're going to bring you some of that conversation here on the show today. Leon Bridges. And we yeah. have your feedback coming up at the end of the show. Hey, but uh, moving the show along, it is time for our look back at what happened this week in culture and entertainment. It's time for In Case You Missed It. Hey, in case you missed it, uh, Justin Bieber had a little news this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, oh, I love this story. He got engaged Yay. and he used his engagement to Haley Baldwin to discuss 
faith and his views on marriage. In an Instagram post announcing that he and model Haley Baldwin were engaged, he said, I promise to lead our family with honor and integrity, letting Jesus through his Holy Spirit guide us in everything we do and every decision we make. He also said, I am most excited. Uh, I am most excited for is that my little brother and sister get to see another healthy, stable marriage and look for the same. And ended with the Bible verse, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with the Lord. Uh, like Bieber, uh, Haley, who's the daughter of actor Stephen Baldwin, is outspoken about her faith. Uh, they both go to um, uh, church home, uh, Judah, uh, Judah Smith's church oh, okay. in LA. They're both very involved. Um, actually, like literally the last several times I've gone, they they were both there. Oh, really? You know, it's just attending, you know, going to church yeah. wow. regularly. Yeah. Uh, in 2016, she told Teen Vogue, I think it's very important for everybody to be in touch with their spirituality and to have a relationship with God. I think that God kind of put me in the place in my life to not be quiet about it and not be quiet about him, but to reach people and to inspire people. So there you go. Yeah, it's very encouraging. I also, for some reason, just love the fact that Stephen Baldwin will now be <laughs> Justin Bieber's father. Father in law. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I just would like to be on a fly on the wall at like Thanksgiving with Stephen Baldwin and Justin Bieber in mm-hmm. the same room hanging out, mm-hmm. you know? Hey, in case you missed it, Starbucks is going to completely eliminate plastic straws, they said this week. Their CEO explained the move is addressing environmental concerns. He said, for our partners and customers, this is a significant milestone to achieve our global aspiration of sustainable coffee served to our customers in more sustainable ways. According to the Ocean Conservancy, more than 8 million tons of plastic ends up in the ocean every year. So the company is developing what's been dubbed online as an adult sippy cup. Though... um, (laughs) Some disability advocates have concerns about how this will affect some customers, but the bo- right. the move could save a billion straws a year, um, uh, according to Starbucks. So yeah, I've seen the sippy cups. They've, they've been using them for the for their summer drinks. Uh-huh. Have you tried any of those? They they uh-huh. look they look like beers, honestly, because really? they have foam on top. Oh, of them. the cold brews with the foam. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and they're yeah. really good. Um, but those are made of plastic too. So that's my question is like, you're going right. to get, <laughs> gonna... the cup is like how much heavier than, than the straw as far as like the, right. the effect on the oceans. Yes. Whatever. This just in, we're going to stop putting plastic straws in our plastic cups. Right. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to make bigger, more elaborate plastic lids right. to go onto right. our <laughs> plastic cups. Maybe it's the saving of the paper around the straw and the plastic of the straw. I don't the know. The paper is biodegradable. You know, you know, what you know what doesn't, I feel like the, basically coffee juice boxes that would, you know, <laughs> it's cardboard, you know, and you just peel back, obviously no straw, you know, but just kind of like, uh, like the, it should be like those little, like, so uh, like the milk, milk cartons, cartons from, from the exactly. yeah. they, yeah. they yeah. need to bring those back. Box coffee. Those milk cartons got kind of soggy and gross at the end, if you remember correctly, but you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, hate we're it. saving the oceans here. So. Uh, I hated the way it felt around your mouth when you got toward the end of the milk when the paper had started to disintegrate. Oh my gosh! What's it makes grosser? What's grosser than soggy card- cardboard that you know is soggy because of milk and spit? Nothing. It's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Literally yeah. nothing. I remember back like as a kid going to SeaWorld and here in Orlando, SeaWorld didn't have any plastic straws. They would do paper straws. Oh, because if. You know, so if, you know, people threw the straws into the, the water tanks, it would actually harm the animals right. and stuff. So I remember that. And I always hated going to SeaWorld because they had those soggy paper straws. <laughs> soggy paper straws. Drink. I terrible. went to a lemonade stand on Saturday. Soggy paper straw. I hated it. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I got nothing against fish, but if I'm just being honest with you, I like 
regular straws. I mean, I think it's a good move. I think it's required. I think we need to do it because like I saw a video of like a whale that ate like a bunch of trash bags and, you know, plastic bags and straws and you feel pretty bad. But you know, what also feels pretty bad when that paper straw gets all soggy and weird when you're drinking. (laughs) I mean, listen, I empathize. I mean, the equivalent. I empathize. I empathize for uh, the the sea turtle that you know has his growth is impeded because he has like a six pack soda can plastic wrapped around a shell. Do I have empathy? Yes, but you know who I also have empathy for myself drinking out of a gross paper straw. So it's <laughs> <laughs> we'll see where I end up on this. Hey, in case you missed it, Tony Hale explained to Gabe Lyons this week how he got over his us versus them mentality as a Christian working in Hollywood. Tony was the guest at the Q Ideas Conference, and though he joked that many of those in attendance might not have seen Veep because of its colorful language, he talked about how he got over the us versus them approach to culture that he first maintained when he first arrived in Hollywood as a Christian. Here's a clip. When I first kind of came to L.A., I kind of had the idea of like, what's God going to do through me? (laughs) Let's see. Let's see. And honestly, I think I probably during that season kind of pushed people away from God because the only person that needed to change was me. I, I needed to kind of realize that I had a lot of arrogance, um, that I talked and spoke to people more than listened to them. Um, and it, that, none of that is bridge building. And so, I, I, I mean, I kind of go back to the fact that I am a, I am a mess. I'm a, I'm a huge work in progress. And when I kind of am honest about that and kind of just talk to people and hear their stories. And the fact is, my faith is everything to me. It's everything to me. Uh, But I love hearing about where somebody else is. I have a friend who's into Scientology, and I was asking them about, what is that? Like, tell me about it. And we had a really great conversation about it. So I think it's more of just, I think I had a real uh, us-them mentality that I'm not very proud of. Uh, But hopefully through the years of just kind of realizing that, man, I just, I'm so... I, I love I love being where I am, and I love learning about people and just trying to stop talking so much and just start listening. Q is a conference I do not miss because they always have the most interesting conversations like that. I attend every year, and I saw Tony Hale, and it was so good. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. We like Tony. Big, yeah, he's such a yeah, good dude. Big Tony Hale fan. Though I feel like his concerns about Christians not watching Veep is legit. That show has some filthy language, though. It's a great show. <laughs> it is so funny. Kind of like, so like the David Copperfield show in Las Vegas. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, raise your hand, anyone who's seen Veep and, you know, like hands r- grows up. Pastors take note. All these people have HBO. Just for <laughs> accountability purposes. I see you. I see you. I see you. Veep is a gateway drug to, uh, to Game of Thrones. Yeah, next thing you're watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. most biblical and then, and then show on television. At that point, we can't help you. Yeah. Hey, in case you missed you. it, Pixar's new chief creative officer is an outspoken Christian. Peter Doctor has been named to the role after John Lasseter stepped down following allegations of sexual harassment and acknowledging, quote, missteps. Uh, Peter uh, directed the Pixar classics Monsters, Inc., Up and Inside Out. He's uh, spoken openly about his faith throughout his career, explaining to Christianity Today in 2009 that he, that though he incorporates Christian values into his work, he tries not to make them preachy. He explained, I don't think people in any way, shape or form like to be lectured to. When people go to a movie, they want to see some sort of experience of themselves on the screen. They don't come to be taught. So in that sense, and in terms of any sort of uh, sorry, any sort of beliefs, I don't want to feel as though I'm ever lecturing or putting an agenda forth. 
And I think that even sometimes people who are decidedly non-Christian have these very Christian things to say. I think most people that have a problem with Christianity actually have a problem with the church. Yeah. There you go. Hmm. Word. Mm. That's interesting. <laughs> hey, uh, and lastly, in case you missed it, uh, this week, Chip and Joe forgave the writer who criticized their parenting after he reached out to them. USA Today writer Daryl Austin got a lot of attention after he published an op-ed that called out the Gaines saying um, that the Gaines didn't get where they are now by putting their family first and that despite their image, they have a work first, kids second approach to their careers. In response on Twitter, Chip said, if there's ever a need with my family first, I'll shut this circus down so fast it'll make your head spin. But Joe and I believe with God, anything is possible, including having an amazing family and career you love. Austin later wrote another op-ed called, I'm sorry I slammed your family values. Please accept my apology. He said that after reaching out to the couple personally, they responded saying that it was water under the bridge and that they'd forgiven him. He told People Magazine, I already respected them a lot despite some concerns I addressed in that article, but now I respect them even more. Chip and Joe, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I I love, you know, that when it comes to family and priorities, Chip's taking the Jimmy Johns approach. I will shut it so fast your head will spin. (laughs) It's a good philosophy. It's a good philosophy. There's a reason Jimmy Johns are like on every shopping center in America right now. People like fast responses, you know, good for Chip. I mean, what do y'all think about that with your journalist brains of him writing an article and then retracting and apologizing after actually getting to know the people. Like, don't, wouldn't you say just don't write the first article till you get to know the I people? Mean, I mean, I, I don't want to like talk to malign this writer. I'm not familiar with the stuff other than this particular op-ed. Because then you'll but have I to know apologize that, after you get to know him. And but, but I do know like that I, I read, because I, while kind of prepping this, I was reading his apology article. And he still seemed, like we did, this is after Chip did his um response tweet we kind of did like a write-up that was pretty that was just objective like it wasn't an opinion piece it was chip response to this criticism and with the tweet and in his which his apology didn't run on usa today his his apology ran in like a fox news column and he said that relevant slammed him for his comments and linked to it i'm like we didn't slam you we just said what chip said so it makes me think you know maybe this guy might have some sensitivity issues with Tossing his opinion out there, but and you, you guys know. played a part in his apology. Cool, a bit of a chip on his shoulder, he might say. Chip on his shoulder. Oh, Chandler! <laughs> Thank you for that, Love buddy. It. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> I think you just got to be careful about like writing about people's families too. Like that's yeah. just, I don't know. That was that was a risky move to begin with. Yeah, because yeah. it's not it's not criticism yeah, about know. the show. It's not criticism yeah. about like the art. Well, the you know? show's over. I mean, now they're just private citizens who do a line of goods at Target. I mean, yeah. they're, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and if you weird. wanted to do a takedown of the Magnolia line, that's one thing. You know what I mean? That's that's that's, right. that's fair. Yeah. You know, like like child labor issues or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. that. Please, you know, I'm saying that talk about the thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, if Whatever. you're just like super anti shiplap, have at it. That's fair. That's a taste thing. That's a taste thing. And frankly, I share your concerns. But but if you're going after their kids, that seems that seems like it should That's be different. Awful. Yeah, That's I agree. I agree. All right. Well, that'll do it for in case you missed it and your Las Vegas update. <laughs> Stay tuned. Up next, Leon Bridges. Now everybody talking about it, so we can talk about it too. Save it too. We could blow them away the American way. 
You're listening to Raylan Baxter. The song is 79 Shiny Revolvers. It's a lot. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Drake with his new single, Doesn't or Don't Matter to Me, featuring Michael Jackson. I thought it was really funny to start the show saying, Doesn't matter to me what you say, because it's a show about talking. <laughs> right. You know. Well, this week's show is brought to you by Blue Apron. With fresh, non GMO ingredients and chef designed seasonal recipes delivered to your door, Blue Apron lets you see the power of what food can do. Blue Apron is completely flexible and lets you choose from two, three, or four weekly recipes based on what fits your schedule. And now, in honor of summer, Blue Apron is offering delicious meals that are great on the grill, like honey chipotle glazed chicken with poblano and lime rice. Ooh, mm, I like lime rice. That sounds so good. Come on now. Uh, you can add smoky depth to your dinner while enjoying the warm weather. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of this service. Uh, not only because is the food great, because you love poblano. Mm. Yeah. And the other thing is I love adoration. <laughs> I love praise. I love looking better than people. Okay. And when I make this, everyone's impressed. And I look at other people that are visiting and in my kitchen and say, I'm better than you because I made a better meal. And I kind of take on, I kind of go Copperfield on them for a minute there. Yeah. You do that to like your children? <laughs> Whoever I'm feeding that night, be it children, okay. be it neighbors, most of the time it's children. But uh, yes, do I you do. Tell, do you tell one of your children to stand up? And start the standing ovation at the end of the meal. Yeah, yeah. Hey, real quick, hands around the table. (laughs) When's the last time anyone here uh, made poblano and lime rice? Oh, is it just me? Is it just me? This? Oh, that's weird. That's weird. Huh? I thought everyone had done that. Right now, Blue Apron has a special offer for relevant podcast listeners. You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free at blueapron.com/relevant. That's blueapron.com/relevant to get your first three meals for free. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Well, Leon Bridges is a singer-songwriter who has risen to fame for his critically acclaimed albums Coming Home and this year's release Good Thing, which showcases his ability to combine gospel, soul, and blues with songs about faith, love, and heartbreak. We recently talked with Leon about his hip-hop roots, his rapid rise to fame, and the real artist behind the soulful onstage persona. Here is part of our conversation with Leon Bridges. Coming into to good thing, uh, there's a lot of like there's kind of a, a rumor or a superstition in the music industry about the sophomore slump, especially coming off of such a successful first album. Uh, what were the what were the challenges or what were you hoping to accomplish when you came in to to starting to record and put together this one? Yeah, I, I wanted to, um, I, I guess, reestablish who I am as a, as an artist and, and how people and, and how people perceive my art and, and, and so I wanted I mean of course with with my first album it was a very specific sound and, and was reminiscent of the 60s R&B era but I just wanted to be able to take take elements from that and move it forward and so that was the whole intention behind going into this this next process 
Was it a? Uh, was it sort of because for that first album you were really? Uh, I, I felt like the. I would imagine the expectations were a lot lower. But now you've got a lot of fans. Uh, you've got a lot of people who are really excited and hyped up about this. Was it? Was it more difficult with the with that amount of an extra amount of pressure on you? Man, um, I think the pressure was more so self-imposed. I guess you would say hmm. it was yeah. more me just wanting to not repeat myself and, and make a a I guess you would say a coming home part two. Right. But yeah, honestly I was I was just more concerned about making a dope sophomore album and uh wasn't really worried too much about outside pressure. I feel like there's this public perception of you um, that you're this, you're this like very old soul. That you're sort of this this throwback from the '60s uh, because of the way you dress when you're on stage, and because of the way the first album sounded. How accurate or how true to life do you feel like the public perception is of you versus who you actually are? Yeah, yeah, it, it really is a small percentage of, of who I am. You know, I, I, of course, I enjoy music from that era, the fashion from from the, from that era. But it, it, it doesn't really sum all of me up, you know. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm a person that I'm just a young I'm a young dude and living in modern times. And, and I also enjoy, you know, I grew up on modern R&B and, and hip hop. And I mean, some, a lot of people wouldn't even know that my favorite thing to do is to go out and and, and uh, party and turn up to Young Thug or <laughs> I love trap music. A lot of people wouldn't know that. That she might be it That the love is real That the shoe might fit She might just be my everything Beyond, beyond Space and time in the afterlife Will she have my kids? Will she be my wife? She might just be my everything Beyond but you, I was listening to, I think I was listening to another interview with you, or maybe I was reading or something like that. And you were saying one of the first times that you ever even considered the possibility that you might like to get into music was listening to R. Kelly. Would you ever, uh, I feel like as, as much different as Good Thing is from Coming Home, would, do you think you'd ever like include some R at like some modern R&B or even like trap or hip hop into the music that you make? Like, man, I, I mean, it's all, um, I mean, all, all that stuff, you know, I feel that I'm, I'm, I'm not opposed to. Well, really, I just kind of take it day by day, but it, it would be nice to, to kind of explore and go forth and f- further mm-hmm. into those areas. I mean, I'd love to collab, collaborate with artists from, from the trap genre or even incorporate that sound into my own music. Were there any songs on the new album that were particularly difficult, just uh, that were harder than the rest of them that you feel, or that you even feel particularly proud of? I mean, honestly, I'm I'm really, I'm really like happy. I mean, proud of myself. I mean, I had to. It, the whole process was a little challenging um, mm-hmm. because I, I had never. This was my first time collaborating with different writers and 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 working with a new producer. Um, break your read yeah but uh, honestly I mean the, I, I would say out of the whole album uh, I mean Ben Ain't Worth the Hand was yeah. a challenge because I'd never say I mean that, 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 <laughs> it's such a good is. song it's so I loved it <laughs> thank you 
yeah, I, I never sang a falsetto or and or I'm, yeah, never written that into my music. And so it was dope having Ricky to encourage me to go there. And that was that was a beautiful thing about working with him. That I can't be a man Sometimes a bed isn't worth the hand And I can't keep letting this wave carry me away So tell me right now Cause I keep, keep seeing the signs You want me to stay That was Leon Bridges Make sure to check out uh, the profile we did with him mm-hmm. uh, More in-depth profile and As the cover story, the current issue of Relevance. It's a great now. one too, I loved it Yeah, Actually, I we had a different cover planned And when I read that piece I texted the guys, I was like This this needs to be the cover it was, And that it, the is story why was like, I'm not on the cover And it's offensive, but yeah. I get it uh, <laughs> so Cameron made the call, he said Listen, we gotta pull this Copperfield cover <laughs> The magic issue <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna hold off on the magic issue for now. You know, we Just should do, we should do a magic is too good. issue. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> it was a three year labor of love for Jesse to put together the magic issue. <laughs> yeah, I only approved it because I thought we were talking basketball, but you know, it wasn't oh the random magic. I, I had you know one of the features you know was just several blank pages because the reader will get there and be like, where did the words go? This is incredible. I mean, there's it's oh, a high minded. Oh, no, <laughs> it was fantastic. I mean, it's the entire I put a lot of time. invisible ink. It, it reveals itself in time. I like. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was very thematic. <laughs> but nope, Leon Bridges. Okay, stay tuned up next. Your feedback. You're listening to Hana Vu. The song is cool, featuring Sachi. All right, well, it's time for your feedback. Well, last week's uh, on the, last week's show on Wednesday's show, the July Fourth show, we played the game Indie Band of Firework. Yes. And uh, our guest, uh, we got to know our guest a little bit, and she, one of our listeners, and she was telling us the story of uh, the the family. Her family, when she was younger, would go evangelize as clowns, and it got us talking about awkward evangelism tactics. And right. so our question of the week last week for you was we wanted you to tell us your awkward or funny or memorable evangelism stories. A lot of us have experienced them and <laughs> participated in them. Um, you hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast. You also wrote your longer ones on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Here's a few of our favorites. <laughs> Jim uh, observed a fist fight between two Christians at a Promise Keepers oh, rally. No. And here, can I tell you why things escalating to physical confrontation at a Promise Keepers rally is particularly concerning? Because a lot of the men there, especially in this era, in the early 90s, were armed with swords. <laughs> it's a big theme. It was a big theme back then. They were playing with swords. Wow. I don't know which so, one you went to. What are you talking about? What's just, that? Are you serious? I went to the I went to like the football stadium rallies. And it was just a bunch of dads who felt bad about being bad dads and they wanted to do better and stuff like I that. Thought that oh. I thought swords <laughs> some way. Am I wrong? Am I wrong to think that swords? No, I mean, I never was a promise keeper because I'm a girl. But I my memory of all the men who went to those for my churches were all sword wielders. Yeah. Sword wielders. Sword See, me, it was wielders. like it was, it was just a bunch of like football coach 
coaches speaking. Yeah, and right, like, so, while I read this, someone needs to Google Promise Keeper Swords to make sure I didn't make this up. <laughs> anyway, because this this slice would have been way better if it wasn't a fist fight, but a sword fight. <laughs> they were at the DC Mall at a Promise Keepers rally, and while they were there at the rally. Somebody was like a one of the street evangelists was shouting like turn or burn messages with his megaphone. After hours of nonstop shouting at the rally, one of the attendees, one of the promise keepers, confronted the man. Uh, what ensued was a pretty good fist fight between the evangelist and a promise <laughs> keeper. Eventually, the D.C. police came and broke it up. As he's, as uh, Jim notes, nothing says brotherly love like assault charges. Uh, Why would a street preacher <laughs> be at, screaming at the people going into a Christian That's event? Really well, but I actually I've been to a several Christian events and like the Westboro Baptist people were screaming at them yeah. like yeah. like like you're not real Christians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's weird. I've been to you, those know, too. Like, you know, Christians love doing that to each other. You're yeah. not really part of the faith. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's me. Just... Yeah, I, I've spent enough time on all of our social media channels to know Christians, the people <laughs> who they love attacking most, are other Christians who have a that slight slight variation on their beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> the slighter the variation, the harder they, the louder they yell, huh? Sorry, real quick. I'm Googling. I, I did find this out. There is, I don't watch Game of Thrones, like I said earlier. So, you know, uh, but there's a sword on Game of Thrones called the Oath Keeper, which sounds yep. awesome. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially the, the origin story of Promise Keepers. That's right. <laughs> um, I like Caleb's uh, feedback, and I'm going to use the word like very lightly because it actually just makes me cringe. But he went to a Christian school where they used a curriculum known as ACE. And each year there was a student convention where you got like ribbons and trophies. And there were all these different categories like basketball, archery, preaching, photography, ping pong, all these things. And one of the categories that you got ribbons and trophies for was soul winning, y'all. And so you had to every person you converted had to sign an affidavit along with their new pastor. And then you brought that with you and the people who had converted the most won awards that ruins wow. my life. I, uh, my very fundamentalist uh, Baptist high school uh, would go to the ACE competitions every year as well. Really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I never competed in the soul conversion one. But do you remember it? I don't remember that category, no. But I do remember everybody there was like homeschooled or very weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's the company you keep there, bud. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I would like to think I was an outsider on the inside, but you would like to think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Doug, one time, he was only ten years old when a group from his church went out, quote unquote, witnessing outside of the band Kiss. A Kiss concert came to town, and they were under the impression at that time that Kiss was an acronym for Knights and Satan Service. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it was mainly older Christian church members mixed with a few few youth group kids who were dragged there and didn't want to be there. Their only success for the night was when some concert goer came out of the comfort, declared, Kiss sucks, I'm going home, and everyone cheered. That was the big <laughs> win that night. <laughs> big uh, win. Uh, Ross says that he, they were at a retreat in there when they were in college, and they had to go to the mall and witness to at least four random strangers, but the only tool they were allowed to use was an EvangiCube. Yeah, I looked that up when I saw that. Oh, yeah. What is it? Because I'd never seen one. You're not familiar either, Annie? 
No, I do not know. I got saved without an Avanja cube, if you can believe I that. I don't know if it's stuck. You might want to. You might want to have Andre yeah, resave you with the Avanja. Go ahead, Andre. Lead me through the Avanja cube. The link. Yeah, Avanja cubes. I, I've I've seen those. They sell them in Christian bookstores. They. Uh, it's just like it's the kind of the Romans road, and it's yeah. a way for you to like tell the story. And then they have like those. Uh, you know, necklaces of certain colors that kind of tell yeah. the same thing. It's just a, a tool for people to remember to the kind of story of salvation. I, guess. I remember like hey. the, when I was a kid in children's church, they had like the bracelet with the different color beads yeah. and each one was a different color yeah. and it represented some, you know, the story. It's essentially that it, with a little bit more but this is like a, narrative. a cube that unfolds and mm-hmm. you, all that kind of thing with different, you know, it's like an interactive comic book almost. It's yeah. like a, yeah. Yeah. What also wor- works if you swing around your Oathkeeper sword. Let me tell you about Jesus. And everyone's like, check this guy's got an awesome sword and he's doing some pretty cool moves with it. Rachel told a good one. It's kind of long, so I'm going to condense a little. She went on a mission trip to Columbia and uh, was on the drama team. And I guess she kind of had like a weird rivalry with the pastor's daughter of the of the church uh, because the the pastor's daughter made this comment to her at one point that she was really good at pretending to be drunk and not afraid to get ugly. So okay. it was one of those sketches where everyone has to portray some sort of vice that yeah. uh, eventually the, the person play, portraying to Jesus will free them from. She also added this. During one performance that involved her, like I guess at this point she's like a person who had fallen into the to, to drunkenness and she has to fight through other people who represent sin to get to God. So it's pretty high-minded oh, here. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. as she's fighting through sin, out of nowhere, one of the sins punched her right in the face. <laughs> She's convinced it was the pastor's daughter that this this was a chance for her to accidentally get walloped in the face. Uh, She had a bruise the rest of the time. She completed the sketch, though. I I don't I don't know if if anyone came to the Lord, but, uh, uh, you know, fighting through those those fists. I I see. I see the gospel parallel there. That's why you always bring an oath keeper with you. Man, I did love that. We had a skit like that in our church in high school, and it is it is moving. I loved it. <laughs> I will not pretend. I got hit up this week by on, on Twitter by the uh, Assemblies of God Fine Arts Fine people. Arts yeah, I saw that. Yeah. They're like excited that you were mentioning the <laughs> yeah. competition. They were it. like, yes, we are still here. Yes, yeah, yeah, human videos are. is still a category. Yeah. Well, if yeah. Promise Keepers, if you're listening, please clarify the sword situation. Were right. swords ever involved or am I making this up? <laughs> <laughs> She just remembers like Colorado University football coach like Bill McCarthy or something like that. He spoke at everything. And I just remembered it being very sports analogies, you know, like to that appeal maybe, to the, I the think, dads. Well, here's the thing. I think one of my buddies in college, I think this is a true story, went to, it, it, he was dating a girl. I remember she was from like Colorado, Colorado Springs. And maybe I'm conflating it because I know the girl's dad was heavily involved in Promise Keepers, okay. but took him to a, a like a men's prayer breakfast thing. And uh-huh. at the end of it, they all stood in a circle and pulled out swords and like planted them in the ground, like symbolically. <laughs> and my friend thought it was kind of weird, but also kind of <laughs> awesome. And thought it was kind of messed up. They didn't give him a sword. Yeah. And like, he's the only swordless one there. <laughs> he's the only swordless one? Well, yeah, I, I I think it's kind of a, a BYOS, you know, the bring your own yeah, sword yeah, situation. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's not promise keepers. You can't have 60,000 men packing a football stadium and they all bring their own sword. Yeah, right. That's not promise keepers. I mean, I think I might go if, if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> promise kept. Here's my 
crossword. <laughs> I would I would have like two katana blades. I'm like, do they all have to be medieval and night like? Are we going for the night thing, or can I go for ninja with katana blades? Is, what's the limit? What's what's the specification on this whole sword thing? Well, you know? whatever's going to make you keep your oath or your promise better. Oh, I think it. that's what okay. you have to bring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get one of those real medieval looking ones. That's like it looks like a machete. It's got like barbs coming out oh, everywhere. Yeah. It's gonna be the coolest. Or it's kind of like mine. Kind of looks a little. It's gonna be demonic looking, but you know, I think um, you know, there, there's some symbolism there. People, people will figure it out. All right. Well, there's a lot more feedback where that came from. Go check it out. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. Well, earlier in the show, you heard a very edited down version. Of what Jesse and I experienced at the David Copperfield show. It went on for probably a solid 50 minutes. You uh-huh. heard, I'm assuming, somewhere around 8 to 10. Um, <laughs> the, uh, it was, Did you keep in the part where David Copperfield pulled out a sword on us? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally on your table. <laughs> um, we got to say, we want to know your most uncomfortable, awkward, or disappointing live performance experience. Uh, you're really excited to see some show. And the uh, the the person you went to see just wasn't bringing the goods that night. Just wasn't oh, into man. it. Or something weird happened. We want to know your most uh, awkward, disappointing, unforgettable live performance experience. Hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, or you can write your longer stories on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. This will be good. Yeah. I can't wait. Well, many thanks to Blue Apron for making this episode possible. Remember to check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free at blueapron.com slash relevant. Thanks also to Leon Bridges for talking to us. His album, Good Thing, is out now. Do yourself a favor and go get it. You can also follow him on Twitter at Leon Bridges and check out the cover story and the brand new issue of Relevant, which is out now. You can view the whole issue online at relevantmagazine.com. You can buy it on newsstands nationwide and you can subscribe right now online as well. It's a good deal going on at the website. On that note, we will wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Andre Henry. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. And I'm Annie F. Downs. We'll see you on Friday. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. What also works if you swing around your Oathkeeper sword. Let me tell you about Jesus. Relevant Podcast Network.